Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to help keep the debate going. One of the often overlooked assumptions about life in these United States is that built into that word united, that we're all part of the same policy, and that, and that we have the right within our borders to go anywhere we want in pursuit of a job. You're from North Dakota. There is nothing in the law to stop you from going to get a job in North Carolina. And Europe has taken that idea a a lot further with one shared open market for two dozen-plus countries so that a chip maker in Dublin or an insurance company in Sofia uh, can hire the best people affordable from Finland to France or from Estonia to Austria. So what is the lesson, or more to the point for us, what if the U.S. set out to make partnership deals with other open labor markets? Say the U.S. does a deal with Europe or the U.S. and India or the U.S. and China. When the barriers to labor fall, who would gain and who would lose? Now, this is a big what if, but it sounds like there's a lot to debate in there. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Let anyone take a job anywhere. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, who will take opposite sides on this motion. Let anyone take a job anywhere. Our debate, as always, goes in three rounds, and then the audience votes to choose a winner, and only one side wins. And now let's meet the team first that is arguing for the motion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brian Kaplan. And, uh, Brian, you are a professor of economics at George Mason University. Uh, You are a well-known proponent of open borders. You wrote a book called The Myth of the Rational Voter, in which you puzzled over the question of why democracies so often make bad policy choices. You list price controls and protectionism and other populist policies that you say most economists would never vote for. So um, we're just wondering tonight, we have 400 people in the audience. If these were all economists in front of you, would your side have the advantage tonight? Probably a slight advantage. Uh, Economists are definitely much more pro-immigration than most Americans, but the economists also don't like to be extreme. I'm an exception. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Brian Kaplan, ladies and gentlemen. And Brian, your partner is? Vivek Wadwa, god of Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) let's welcome Vivek Wadwa. Vivek, you are also arguing for this motion, let anyone take a job anywhere. You are vice president of research and innovation at Singularity University. You're a fellow at Stanford Law School. Before joining academia, you actually started two software companies. You you were born in India. You went to NYU Business School, became a naturalized citizen in 1989. Just curious, if this were all happening in your life now, business school, 2013, 2014, would you... Go to India now, or would you still want to stay here? John, I wouldn't have had a choice. I couldn't get a visa. We've closed the doors. We've (laughs) locked the borders. We're turning away brilliant people because of our flawed immigration policies. So I would have had to leave. 
Well, we are here now. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Vivek Wadwa. Our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. And now let's meet the team that is arguing against this motion. First, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Kathleen Newland. Kathleen, you are co-founder of the Migration Policy Institute. You study migration, development, refugee protection. And part of what inspired you to go into this field uh, is something that, that you did at a very young age. You were 16 years old, and you were an exchange student where? I went to Calcutta at the age of 16. It is an experience that utterly changed my life. And that's how you ended up, in a way, here. Ladies Indeed. and gentlemen, let's welcome Kathleen Newland. <laughs> And Kathleen, your partner is? Ron Unz. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Unz. Ron, you have one of those uh, very, very disparate resumes that Intelligence Squared loves. You're a physicist by training, but then you were uh, founder uh, and chairman of Wall Street Analytics, which is a financial services software company. Then you ran for governor of California. Then you were publisher of the American Conservative. You've been described, quote unquote, as a nerdy guy who lives and breathes policy and politics. And I, I hope you know that in the Intelligence Squared universe, that makes you a sex symbol. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out when the vote takes place. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our debaters. On to round one, opening statements from each of our debaters. Our motion is this, let anyone take a job anywhere. And speaking first for the motion, Brian Kaplan, a professor of economics at George Mason University and senior scholar at the Mercatus Center. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Kaplan. Let anyone take a job anywhere. Given current policy, it does sound radical. Uh, but notice, the resolution does not say let anyone become a citizen anywhere. The resolution does not say let anyone collect government benefits anywhere. The resolution does not say let anyone vote anywhere. The resolution only says that no matter where you're born, it should be legal for you to accept a job offer from a willing employer. The resolution parallels, let any woman take a job anywhere, or let any Jew take a job anywhere. The resolution is not a request for charity. It simply asks the world's governments to stop requiring discrimination against foreign workers. Mandatory discrimination against foreigners is especially awful because most of the world's workers earn vastly more in the first world than they ever could at home. Now, you could object that we're not obliged to help total strangers. But, important point to remember, allowing someone to take a job is not charity. It's called minimal decency. Economist Michael Clemens, the world's expert on this topic, finds that a free global labor market would roughly double global production. Now, at this point, you may say, double? How is it possible to double global production? Well, consider this thought experiment. Imagine there were a billion farmers stuck in Antarctica. Suppose we were to let these billion farmers move from Antarctica to anywhere else. Well, obviously, the billion Antarcticans would be way better off when they get to leave Antarctica. But they are hardly the only beneficiaries. The other beneficiaries of allowing them to leave Antarctica, everyone on Earth who eats food. Now, economically speaking, Haiti and Bangladesh really are like Antarctica. They're countries where workers realize only a small sliver of their full potential. Now, wouldn't open borders hurt, some, hurt American workers? Uh, some. Uh, take me. I'm a native-born college professor. Thanks to a massive immigration loophole, virtually any PhD in the world can legally compete with me in the U.S. labor market. As a result, about half of all US, U.S. research professors are foreign-born. This has slashed my wages and my career prospects. 
Now, is my sad, sad story a good argument for immigration restrictions? Sure, it's a great argument. Wait, no, it's a terrible argument. <laughs> professorial, professorial immigration is bad for me, but it's good for consumers of education. If you're glad that you didn't pay even more for your college education, thank an immigrant. The same goes for every occupation. So how on earth could we ever judge the overall effect? There is a very simple answer. Keep both eyes firmly on production. When global production doubles, your standard of living is very likely to rise. This is not trickle-down economics. It is Niagara Falls economics. Now, what about the endless non-economic complaints about immigration? I'm sure we'll get into an enormous number as we go on. So I will just give you a general rule for how I respond to all of them. Here's the rule. For any complaint you have, there is a cheaper and more humane remedy than mandatory discrimination against foreigners. Immigrants abuse the welfare state? Let them work, but not collect benefits. Immigrants vote the wrong way? Let them work, but not vote. Immigrants hurt low-skilled Americans? Let them work, but charge immigrants an admission fee or a surtax. Then use those funds to compensate native workers who lose out. If you think these remedies are unfair, they are certainly less unfair than turning honest workers into criminals just because they were born in the wrong country. Thank you. Thank you, Brian Kaplan. And our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere and here to speak against the motion. I'd like to introduce Ron Unz. He founded the financial services company Wall Street Analytics and is the former publisher of the American Conservative. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Unz. Let's think a little bit about what this means. Now, you know, I'm laboring under a disadvantage in this debate because not only am I not a trained economist, I've never even opened an economics textbook. I personally don't claim to really understand most economics. I'm not convinced everybody else understands economics that well either. But one part of economics that is very well established, a very simple issue, is the law of supply and demand. Think of what production means. The two main factors in production are labor and capital. Allowing an unlimited number of additional workers from everywhere in the world to come here and take jobs would massively, massively increase the supply of labor. The result would be tremendously disadvantaging labor at the expense of capital. In effect, ordinary workers, ordinary citizens, would be tremendously economically disadvantaged by the fact that they would be competing against a billion, two billion, three billion, an unlimited supply of additional foreign workers who would take the job for whatever wage they could. It's true, certainly, there would be a huge increase in economic production, productivity, GNP, but almost all of it, and possibly even more than all of it, would be captured by capital. In other words, what we're talking about is something that would be very beneficial for the top 1%, 0.1%, 2%, 5%, the wealthiest segment of American society. They would benefit, no doubt about it. Everybody else would suffer. Now, let's think of what really has happened in American society over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Daniel Pat- the late Daniel Patrick Moynihan, over 20 years ago, pointed out that for two decades there had been no increase in average wage income in the United States. The standard of living of ordinary American workers had been stagnant for two decades. 
He said that 20 years ago. It's now been 40 years. The average American has been stagnant or declining for 40 years now. Now, is it entirely coincidence that 40 years of economic stagnation for ordinary American workers is the same 40 years that has seen one of the highest rates of foreign immigration to the United States in our history? The point is, if you have a huge influx of willing workers from abroad able to take any job they could because they come from poor countries, you're trying to drive down the wages of ordinary American workers who are competing with them. Allowing anyone to take a job anywhere, in effect, would convert America's minimum wage into into its maximum wage. The bottom line is that letting anyone take a job anywhere might sound good in theory, but it would destroy the United States and destroy the lives of ordinary workers. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ron Unz. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. We have four panelists arguing this motion. Let anyone take a job anywhere. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through this opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, on opposite sides of this motion, let anyone take a job anywhere. You have heard the first two debaters, and now on to the third. Let's welcome to the lectern Vivek Wadwa. He is the Vice President of Research and Innovation at Singularity University and a fellow at Stanford Law School. He is arguing for the motion, let anyone take a job anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, Vivek Wadwa. Brian explained what's happening in the unskilled sector. I've been researching systematically what's happening in the skilled sector because you have the same fear-mongering happening in skilled immigration, that, my God, these Indians are going to come and take our jobs away. The exact opposite is happening. America is the most competitive land in the world. We have reinvented ourselves over and over again. Diversity rules over here. Look at New York City. It is diverse as could possibly be. The economy is thriving. People are doing much better. The fact is the world is connected right now. We have more knowledge than we've ever had. Knowledge has become free. That happened because of technology. And do you know who's been building these technologies? Immigrants. 52% of the startups in Silicon Valley during the most innovative period in in recent economic history were founded by immigrants, people like me, people like this audience, people who came here because they saw opportunity, they were highly educated, and they decided to to bring their knowledge and their intelligence with them over here and make America a competitive place. In every generation, there were people like, I mean, this is not Ron. I mean, like I said, I've, I've heard his, his, um, uh, his lectures. I've seen his writings. This is not, I don't believe what he just said over here. But in every generation, in every generation, there have been people who said that if we let these Irish in, if we let these Poles in, if we let these Jews in, if we let these people in, our jobs will go away. And guess what happened? These immigrants made Americans work harder, think smarter, compete, and this became the only innovative economy in the world. We, are, we lead the world because of innovation, because we open our borders and because we allow people to come in here. Now, that's one perspective. The other perspective is that I hate to tell you this, but the cat is already out of the bag. Already we are in a borderless economy when it comes to knowledge. I, I live it. One of the things I've been researching is the is role of women in innovation or the lack of women in innovation, the fact that they're left out of the innovation economy. I did a research project. I had a team lead in Washington, D.C. I had uh, other researchers in New York City. I wanted to crowd-create a book. 
I put the word out that I'm looking for people to help me with social media. I had 300 women all over the world sign up to be my ambassadors. I wanted to now crowd edit the book. I had 500 women all over the world telling their stories. I could do within six weeks the research that would have taken me years and years to do by using the power of the web, by using the power of, of technology, and by letting people work from anywhere. So you talk about the damage that open borders are doing. I'm sorry, it's, it's happening right now. This is the new world we live in. It's all open. And it's not falling apart. We're moving up, up the ramp. This is the most productive, most innovative period in human history when the world will come together and start solving problems. So let's uplift the whole world. Let's make the world a smaller place. And everyone wins. It's a better world. It's a better economy. And we solve major problems. Thank you, Vivek Wadwa. Our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. And here to offer her opening statement against this motion, Kathleen Newland. She is co-founder and trustee of the Migration Policy Institute, where she directs policy programs on migrants, migration and development, and refugee protection. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, please, Kathleen Newland. I'd like to remind Vivek among, and the rest of the panel that our proposition tonight is, let, is not let anyone take an anywhere job. It's let anyone take a job anywhere. This is not a debate about immigration. It's about how our societies are organized. We shouldn't outsource that very important function of deciding how our societies are organized to employers. That's not to demonize employers. They're the engines of our economies. But it's not their job to pursue the public good. Labor markets are social institutions as well as economic institutions, and they have geography, despite the fact that many jobs are mobile, not all jobs are mobile, and especially the jobs that are done by less skilled people in today's world are not mobile, those jobs in the service sector. Those jobs have geography, and uh, we need immigrants to come and fill them. But we need to set a framework in which that's an orderly process in which it is, as much as possible, a legal process. We need to open channels so that the people we need to come and do those jobs can do them legally. But it doesn't mean anyone can take a job anywhere. Why? Having anyone do a job anywhere, having high levels of immigration to fulfill that, uh, that vision, carries a lot of externalities with it. I don't think most people would want to live in a society where immigrants can't have their families join them over long periods of time. We don't want to live in a society where we don't educate the children of immigrants. We don't provide health care to immigrants. Uh, We don't provide adequate shelter or uh, allow people the means to acquire adequate shelter. So there, there are costs associated with immigration. I think there's also a question about values in here. I've mentioned some of them already about what kind of society we ought to live in, but it's also about who gets to decide. And I don't believe it's practical to decide for the entire world that we will have the same standard of living. We live in a real world in which immigrants, in which workers, are not just units of production. They're members of our societies, and we have to make the kind of provision uh, for people to live in the, in the kind of societies that you want to live in. And that, to my mind, is a good reason to vote no against the proposition that anyone should be able to take a job anywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen Newland. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. 
Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address each other in turn and take questions from me and from you in the audience. The motion is this, let anyone take a job anywhere. And arguing for the motion, we've heard Brian Kaplan and Vivek Wadwa, and they have argued that actually giving a job to anyone anywhere is common decency. Not to do so is a form of discrimination against foreign workers. That opening borders globally, they cite a statistic that says would actually double global production, which the other side uh, did not refute. They also say that we're on this road already, that in one sector of the economy, the knowledge economy, that this is already happening. And to quote Vivek Wadwa, the world is not falling apart. Arguing against the motion to let anyone take a job anywhere, we've heard from Kathleen Newland and Ron Unz. Uh, while conceding the point that productivity, production would double globally, they also say that that would have terrible socially divisive effects. They argue that that uh, increase in production would benefit almost exclusively uh, an economic elite, that the average person, the ordinary person, would see their wages terribly depressed to be essentially in competition with two billion workers around the world. And they argue also that uh, employment and labor is a geographically based thing. You have to be in the place. It's social. There are real costs. Who's going to pay for the schooling of these moves of population? Who's going to pay for the health care costs? It's not just a matter of individuals being units of labor. Um, I want to go back and slice through some of what you were saying and have you interact on some of this. And I'm, I'm interested in... Um, and Brian Kaplan's point when he was arguing for the motion to let anyone take a job anywhere, that not to do so is a form of discrimination against foreign workers. And I want to take that uh, to your opponent, Kathleen Newland, because to a degree it sounds as though you get what he's saying, but why is it not, a, why is it not the kind of discrimination that uh, Brian Kaplan was talking about? Well, I think, um, you know, our governments are obliged to discriminate in our favor. Um, That's part of the responsibility of government. That's part of the reason we have governments. And we have national labor market policies because we want to establish a certain level of living in this country. We don't want people to be paid $2 a day for their work in this country. We, We don't want workers' rights to be flouted at will. So we we have rules, we have regulations, and we, have, we exert some control over who and what kind of people can come. Let's hear Brian Kaplan's response. I'm just trying to imagine Kathleen going to Haiti and telling them, look, we need to keep you out because if we let you in, we'd have to give you free health care, and I don't feel like doing that, so you have to stay here. Then that way we can maintain our standard of living. It just seems like to anyone that was not already inside of your in-group, this argument would be totally unconvincing because it would be so obvious that you really just don't care about them and you're willing to do almost anything to people outside of your group. We need to make sure that we are treating people from other countries fairly, and this is not what we are doing. You know, the solution is something that Ron has advocated, which is having a minimum wage. He's advocated 12 to $15. Let's say we did that. We would now lock out the billions that they're worried about Oh, I Run-ons. agree entirely. In other words, if we had a very large rise in the minimum wage, maybe to $12 an hour, that by itself would alleviate a lot of the problems associated with immigration. Because if you have a situation where American workers can't be paid less than, say, $12 an hour, then even a huge amount of foreign competition would ensure that ordinary American workers had a reasonable standard of living and maintained it. So the problem is the minimum wage, allowing people to come in for working for $2 an hour. We didn't say that, you know, nowhere in this resolution are we talking about bringing in people at 50 cents an hour, $2 an hour. We're talking about 
if an employer wants to hire them, if I want to hire someone in uh, Chile and have them work for me, they should be allowed to work for me. Wait, so but, have good but, regulations. But that's, that's the problem. The current minimum wage is too low. In other words, right now, if you have a janitor earning 9 or 10 or $11 an hour, and if he's suddenly put in competition with 2 billion workers around the world who are willing to work for anything, his wage would immediately go down to the minimum wage. In other words, all American workers would see their wages drop to the absolute minimum, labor unions would be destroyed, and the country would be impoverished. Yes, right, so wait, wait, Vivian, one second. I want to sure. just hear if the, 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 the point that was just made, that in fact it would have a terribly depressing effect to be in competition with two billion workers, sounds reasonable. I want to hear from Brian Kaplan. Do you think that that's accurate? Uh, no. Uh, so here's the important thing. Well, it's true. <laughs> well, are you gonna, you're going to tell us why. Uh, abso- absolutely. Good. Uh, so if they're really only one kind of labor, then Ron's story is right. You let in a ton of people and wages go down. However... Here's the thing. There are many different kinds of labor. There are high-skilled labor, mid-skilled labor, low-skilled labor. You can go and read the most respected critic of immigration in the entire economics profession, George Borjas. And all that he'll tell you is that immigration has been bad for high school dropouts. Everyone else, he says, there have been gains. So when you consider the effect of immigration, it's, it's not going to be an effect upon all workers. It's going to be an effect upon a narrow segment of workers who I said you could take care of them by having taxes or admission fees for low-skilled workers. Or minimum wages. Yes. Let me, and it builds oh, wait, a middle wait, class. Wait, wait, uh, Vivek, one I mean. second. Um, I want to I go a little bit to the point that Vivek was making, that you, you, as you pointed out, it's already happening uh, in the knowledge industry, that uh, design is happening on single projects that are shared around the world. The argument being it's, it's kind of working out already at the higher end globally. You know, literally, the, the engineers who are designing uh, for General Motors or Intel don't have to be in the United States, but the, they're certainly having an impact, I would think, on wages in the United States, or are they? Uh, let's take uh, Kathleen Newland. Anyone who has an electrical engineering degree from a good university can take a job anywhere. Yes. Why are you good with that in that uh, uh, it's going to have an impact on wages globally as well, will it not? Aren't there now hundreds of thousands more engineers in India competing with American, uh, American engineers? But they're not competing with them here. And really what, well, the, what but, I'm but talking Vivisic about... Well, is saying here doesn't matter because the, well, the work I, takes place across borders. So answer that. Yeah. I, I think here does matter. The engineer in India, unless you know, he's at the top level of management, is not getting paid the same as the engineer in the United States. There is an arbitrage going on between but those two levels. It equalizes. Salaries keep rising worldwide. And if you have more people doing innovation, you solve more problems. The economy rises. This is what's happening worldwide right now. I told you how I became more productive, how I could crowdsource a book on innovating women by getting women all over the world to help me with it. There's no way I could have done that project if I didn't have access to all these amazing women all over the world. You know, we would have to block off the Internet to stop the Right, the right. But her point isn't that you can't do a book. And you're playing the woman card quite effectively, I have to say. <laughs> um, her point is that the Indian engineers are actually not making the same kind of money that engineers in Silicon Valley are making. Their salaries and, are rising. This is what it's happens. Not, but it's, you know, it's not only about their salaries. It's also about that, you know, if you are an electrical engineer in Haiti and you can make the same salary in Haiti that you would make in Los Angeles, you still would probably rather live in Los Angeles where you have a reliable supply of electricity, good schools. workers don't have to migrate. The Boeing engineers that work in different places are not migrating. They're working together. They're collaborating. They have some regulations so that people can't be abused. Just like we have environmental regulations, we have other... So fix those regulation problems and now let people work wherever, you know, when if an employer thinks that this Mexican uh, gardener is more qualified, 
do this, this job than someone else they can hire locally, let them do it. It becomes a much less severe problem if you have something like a much higher minimum wage. So exactly. let's fix regulations, but right. let's now concede the fact. We're back on minimum wage, and I... Okay, and sure. I <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me... You know, we said that we want to play with some hypotheticals in this debate. We cited uh, the European Union. What if the United States hypothetically partnered with the European Union. We joined them or they joined us, but essentially the rules that now let an Irishman work in uh, Bulgaria would let him also work here and an American work anywhere in Europe. Would, what would be your response to that, Kathleen Newland? Curiously, you know, the, the immigration rate between European countries is about the same as the worldwide rate. And Europe has invested enormously before they admitted Spain, uh, before they admitted Greece. They invested enormously in these countries so that they've created a much more level playing field. Now, if you have a, a, a bigger labor market is a more efficient labor market. Absolutely no question about it. And if you, if you fuse countries that are at pretty similar levels of income and infrastructure and human rights standards you probably won't have that much movement between them. That's been the case in Europe. But if you had an agreement between Europe and Morocco, or you had an agreement between the U.S. and Guatemala, you would have a lot more movement. And I think that is where social and political and infrastructural problems arise if there isn't some so Control you're, you're saying, yes, it could work, but you've got to pick your partners carefully. You've got to pick your partners carefully, or you've just got to plan and do it slowly and consciously. So it sounds like we're agreeing Wait, so Viv- Viv- for I, the motion. I mean, Vivek, <laughs> isn't that great? Anywhere. Well, anywhere. Brian Kaplan, what about that? Yeah, any movement towards more open immigration is good for me. But I will say the most gains come from, tra- from immigration from poor countries. Those are where the gaps in earnings are largest. Those are the people whose productivity is at only a tiny fraction of what they could accomplish if you'd just let them go to another country. Letting an engineer move from one country to another gives you a small gain in production. Letting an unskilled worker move gives you an enormous increase because they're stuck in countries where they really just can't use their skills in more than a trivial way. So you don't agree with the pick your partner carefully theory? Um, I would agree. No, I would actually, I would take any partner. I will dance with anyone. Again, remember, the the whole point of Ron's proposal is to price out most people on earth from the U.S. labor market. He says this. So when you talk about the poor conditions of workers in other countries, remember, Ron's proposal is designed to keep them poor at home. Is that true, Ron? That's not true. Well, again, it depends what you mean. In other words, if you're talking about preventing tens of millions of people coming here and driving down wages, yeah, that, that's certainly true. I, I'm trying even, to prevent that. Even though that. they are living in total misery back home and they would be earning five or ten times, oh, times you know, as much it, as they came here. It's perfectly true. If you allow an unlimited number of foreign workers to come to the United States and take a job under any circumstances, those foreign workers would benefit. But ordinary Americans would be hurt at the same time by a comparable amount. Oh, so, I stop there. Brian, is true. that true? Yeah. Okay. Oh. No, it is not. So if you want to get an idea well, well, no, about... I mean, it sounds yes. extremely yes. plausible. Yes. Well, well. <laughs> yes. So since we're, since we're in New York, let's talk about one of the greatest open borders experiments in history, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico started out as a third world country when the United States beat Spain. There was open borders. What has happened? Well, first of all, about half of Puerto Rico left over the course of 100 years. Secondly, Puerto Rico is now one of the richest countries in the world. What happened? Uh, people in Puerto Rico who otherwise would have been stuck 
in a third world country, not able to use their skills. Many of them left and found that there was a better place for them to work. And those remaining found that their wages were higher. A lot of what happened was that Puerto Ricans went home and turned a third world country into a first world country. There's no reason that America cannot do for the world what it did for Puerto Rico. The whole world? Give me a century and I will give you prosperity over the surface of the earth. You got it. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to help keep the debate going. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. We have four panelists arguing this motion. Let anyone take a job anywhere. (laughs) <laughs> Let's go to some questions from the audience. Uh, right there in the center, sir, and if you can raise uh, when the mic comes from your left-hand side and tell us your name. Thank you. This is terrific. My name is Jerry Orstrom, and my question is for the panelists opposing the resolution. Mr. Unz, uh, you asserted that opening labor markets would not only be devastating to local labor, but to the general economy itself. And yet economists often advise us that economies are not so much about producers and workers, but about consumers. And to the extent that foreign workers are hired at all, it's because it's deemed that they will produce goods and services with higher quality at cheaper prices, which in turn is wonderful for the economy. Could you address that, please? And could the other panelists respond? Well, it's certainly true. The economy would grow, but the benefits, the growth, would be captured by the factors of production that are not based on labor. It would be captured by capital. It's the sort of thing where if you suddenly have a vast increase in America's population, population of workers, the economy will obviously be larger. In other words, there will be more goods, more services, more people buying things. And it's also true that those tens of millions or even maybe hundreds of millions of foreign workers would be much wealthier in the United States than they were back home. But ordinary Americans, they would be much poorer. So what it really comes down to is whether it's important to safeguard the prosperity of ordinary Americans, even at the expense of decreasing the impoverishment of tens or hundreds of millions of people from overseas. Again, people right now are earning a dollar an hour, 50 cents an hour, 10 cents an hour, and if suddenly they could earn $7 an hour in the United States, it would seem awfully good to them. Brian Kaplan, I think he just described your fantasy come true. (laughs) Yeah, so the problem is that Ron keeps talking about labor like there's only one kind of labor. So... Everyone in, everyone in America is identical to everyone else on Earth, so you could be replaced by any, whatever job you're doing by anyone on Earth, but that, of course, is not true. There are many different kinds of labor. Rich countries tend to have much more skilled workers. Uh, you should expect that skilled workers would be among the beneficiaries of the increase in the supply of lower-skilled workers. Now, does this mean that every American will gain? Uh, that is much less clear. But what uh, Ron is talking about is keeping out almost everyone on Earth and losing all these benefits that we could otherwise have and, of course, trapping most of the world in poverty for no reason. And, 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 um, Ron, I want to bring back to you something that uh, Brian said in his opening statement that we haven't got to, which he talked about the the renewal of of a society and an economy by virtue of having 
fresh blood, the immigrant blood, the, 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 both the energy and the creativity and the innovation that can come from that. And you haven't addressed that as a value that they place very highly. Both of your opponents do very highly. I, I think there's certainly a lot of truth to that. In other words, over history, America has benefited tremendously from you know, its large-scale immigration. And I, I think probably the immigration we've had over the last 20 or 30 years has been very beneficial in many ways also. But the numbers really are awfully large right now. America has, for example, one of the most rapidly growing populations anywhere in the first world. Right now, America's population is growing at twice the rate of China's. That sometimes is distorted. When the New York Times or other people talk about America's growth in GDP, they're not talking about per capita GDP. They're talking about total GDP. Ordinary Americans care about per capita income not the total GDP of the country. Let's go to another question. My name is uh, Brett Popper, and I'm just curious. We've been focusing on foreign workers coming to America, and I'm curious, should Americans be able to take jobs anywhere in the world? Why not? That's a great idea. That's the same question that Brian would ask. You know, the economy of other countries will rise. Things will get better in the rest of the world. There may well be a day when Mexico has a stronger economy than than does the United States. Now, imagine flipping it on its head, saying Americans can't take a job in Mexico because they happen to be north versus south. That's the same type of thinking we're doing right now. Rather than trying to uplift anyone and make the world a more equal, more fair place where everyone is well off, we're talking about restricting ourselves. We're talking about closing our borders. If we keep having these restrictionist policies, we'll create problems for ourselves. The solution is to uplift Mexico. If you can stand up, please, thanks. Um, I'm Gibran Sheikh. Um, I have a question towards uh, the people arguing for the motion. Dr. Kaplan mentioned... uh, moral uh, imperative. And in this country, we can't provide health care for our, our citizens as it currently stands. Education is uh, terribly flawed. And if we're not able to address that for our own citizens, how, how would we be expected to uh, do that for other people? Wouldn't it be a little bit uh, morally egregious to Thank you for not that question. Brian Kaplan. It's a very strong question. So I ask you, imagine going to Haiti and saying, look, we know that you would love to come here and get a job. We know that there's plenty of people who want to employ you, but unfortunately, if you came, we would feel obliged to give you some further free stuff. And we don't want to give you any free stuff. So you have to stay in Haiti earning a dollar a day. That is the kind of humanitarianism that America has right now. I think that is a very poor kind of humanitarianism. The Haitians would much prefer someone who would say, I would, I'm willing to let you come and get a job. I'm not going to give you free stuff, but I'm not going to keep you away because I don't want to look at poverty. And that is really what our current system does. It creates an enormous amount of poverty, and then it keeps it away from us so we don't have to look at it. Kathleen Newland, I think the question also went to some of what you said in your opening statement. Do you like to take that? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that, again, you know, I don't think we want to live in a country where poverty is tolerated, but I don't think that we can create the kind of framework for a good society, for the kind of society we want to live in. Our immigration policy is only as good as our integration policy, and our integration policy for immigrants that makes them part of our society on equal terms is not something we can do for the whole world. Kathleen. Kathleen. So, Kathleen, you seem like a very nice person. You've been to Calcutta. I you am. know, you know, you know how hor- you know how horrible things there are. I find it very strange to say that it's so important that we not have to look at you that we're going to keep you living here in horrible poverty because you might come to America and earn minimum wage. It seems crazy to me. Let's go back to some questions, sir. 
Uh, Dan Kim, I'm ad- addressing the motion for the current system, albeit it's certain flaws. We're not isolationists. We already have a system that selects people to come into our United States and work. And as uh, Mr. Wada said, there is already a renaissance of uh, innovative technology throughout the world that is going okay. on. Why should we replace uh, the immigration system and replace it with a radical, let anyone take a job in the United States? I, uh, let's go to this side. Thank you for that question. The U.S. system is broken. That it worked um, a long time ago. Um, there was a time when, when there were no such thing as visas. There were no passports. You could easily come to the United States. And that's when the U.S. developed into the powerhouse that it is. We now have a reverse brain drain going on. We have skilled talent leaving the country because we won't give them enough visas. We have these protectionist sentiments. Because why? Because you have a small segment of American society which believes that if we open the doors, billions will come in, they'll take our jobs away, and this country will go to the dogs. I mean, this is the, the problem we have right so now. So your answer to his question, when he said we actually have a functioning system, not perfect, the but it functions, it sets priorities. It's broken it's, right now. You, okay, you, you do a, not agree right with Right now, as, as of the last two or three years, it's All broken. Right, let it's me take the same problems. question. If you want to respond, Ron Owens. And if you don't, I can move on to another question. I, could oh, I just, could Nolan, I just say one thing about that? I, I think the U.S. system leaves a lot to be desired. I think we, it does need fixing. But I don't see why we should replace it with a system that's completely employer-driven. All the way in the back there. Tiffany, okay. Tranchina. So people want to come to America because they want to prosper, right? And I think three of y'all but Brian have mentioned that there needs to be a minimum wage but we don't have one. So if the politicians are not going to vote for one, or if we don't know if they're going to vote for one, how can we today vote and say yes, that we want everyone to be able to come in and work anywhere? Okay, that's actually not a minimum wage question. That's a question, what you're asking is, why, why this side is arguing that we'll work it out, and you're asking how can we trust Correct. The system to work it out. I think it's a fair question. Um, In this hypothetical what-if world we're talking about, what is your confidence level that the kinds of of protections that you're saying would need to be built in could actually be built in? We already have those protections. We have employer laws. We have um, laws for uh, sick leave. We have employer laws for maternity. We have laws for health care. We have a minimum wage. Let's just tweak it a little bit and now move on. It's It's not rocket science. I, I, I just I thought that this, the flow of the argument was though that the the cost of of supplying those services to large numbers of people your opponents are arguing could be prohibitive. We're and talking I, about as many difficult. employees as employ, uh, employers need. I, you know, there's no. I, I don't see why we keep talking about billions coming. Even no one is saying just open the borders and let people come here and live, and we have to give them health care. We're saying to the, the job here for them. Let them take the job. That's, it's as simple as that. I don't know why we, we even have to debate this. It's a simple argument. If an employer wants it, if they're going uh, <laughs> uh, to... Here, here, here's, here's the problem. I mean, in the practical world, obviously, people are self-interested, and they try to game the system. Let's say, for example, we convert our uh, immigration policy, our job labor policy, entirely to the control of employers. Right now, for example, illegal immigrants pay thousands of dollars to be smuggled into the United States in a difficult and dangerous way. Suppose instead they took that thousands of dollars and paid it to an American employer to hire them for one week or two weeks or three weeks. They could come here legally. They would work for one week or two weeks or three weeks. They would then be laid off. 
and they would melt into the larger society. You'd have to set up a police state to then catch them and deport them afterwards. That is the, really that is really scheming. I mean, <laughs> that's really complicated. All these doomsday scenarios to close off the borders, come on, it's, that's an extreme situation again. I have to say this concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Thank you. Where Our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. And now we're going to go on to round three. Round three are closing statements from each debater in turn. So our motion is this. Let anyone take a job anywhere. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Ron Unz. He's former publisher of the American Conservative Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Unz. Over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, there's been a tremendous bifurcation of American society. The wealthier have gotten much wealthier. The rest of the people have not. We've reached the point right now where the top 1% of American society, which has sometimes been in the headlines, the top 1%, has as much wealth as the bottom 95%. To make a bad situation like that much worse would be to cause the vast majority of ordinary American workers to suddenly have to compete for their jobs against everybody in the rest of the world. It would destroy their incomes. To be honest, the proposal that we're talking about probably would benefit many, perhaps even the majority, perhaps even the vast majority of the people sitting here in this audience. But it would make the political situation much worse than it is right now. What we have to do is make changes in other proposals and other aspects of our society to alleviate the problems we've had over the last 20 or 30 years in terms of this wealth gap, not make them much worse. The proposal we're talking about would be devastating to the vast majority of Americans and should be voted against. Thank you, Ronans. Our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. And here to summarize his position supporting this motion, Vivek Wadwa, Vice President of Research and Innovation at Singularity University. Ladies and gentlemen, Vivek Wadwa. Right through American history, we've had these same debates that foreigners will take American jobs away. We've always blamed foreigners for all the ills. Now my friend over there is blaming foreigners for the income disparity between the rich and the poor. Immigrants haven't done that. That's the evil Wall Street that's done that, my friend. That, that's a different problem in American society. Skilled immigration has, has made America the most fiercely competitive land in the world. We're seeing benefits from it. It's uplifting society. A lot of good has come from skilled immig- immigration. The fact is that we're communicating, connecting with people everywhere. Closing off borders saying that, no, you can't have people taking a job you know, where they need to, is like closing off the Internet. It doesn't make sense in this, in this modern-day era. It's good for America. It's made what is America what it is. Let's get, get beyond this protectionism. Let's get beyond this, this closed-mindedness and blaming foreigners. They have made this country fiercely competitive. They've made this country great. Let's do more of it, not less of it. We can control wages. We can have minimum wages so that we don't have them going down to zero. We don't have fierce competition for low-skilled jobs. Let's just open up so that we bring in the people that we need in this great country. Thank you, Vivek Wadwa. Our motion is let anyone take a job anywhere. And here to close her position against this motion, Kathleen Newland, co-founder of the Migration Policy Institute. Ladies and gentlemen, Kathleen Newland. I think in order to decide how to vote on this proposition of let anyone take a job anywhere, we need to think about what the alternatives are. And the alternative is a better managed, a more 
thoughtful labor market policy, a more thoughtful immigration policy. Currently, only 14% of our immigration intake, the number of permanent residency permits that are granted every year, are uh, granted to immigrants who are sponsored by an employer. So increase that. So um, what we need is a thoughtful, measured, targeted immigration and labor market policy, and where people other than only employers have a say in who comes in to be our neighbors and who who and how many people constitute and reconstitute and renew American society. Thank you, Kathleen Newland. Our motion, let anyone take a job anywhere. And here to summarize his position supporting this motion, Brian Kaplan, professor of economics at George Mason University. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Kaplan. As Vivek said, it is hard to believe that we're actually even debating let anyone take a job anywhere. If our opponents had told you that the law should prevent women from working or the law should prevent Jews from working or the law should prevent blacks from working, you wouldn't just disagree. You would be appalled. You should be equally appalled when someone says the law should prevent foreigners from working. It denies workers basic human rights and it deprives the world of the full benefit of workers' talent and ambition. Open borders should be a bipartisan and bi-ideological cause. Conservatives should oppose immigration restrictions in the name of freedom, free markets, small government, the work ethic, meritocracy, and Horatio Alger himself. Liberals should oppose immigration restrictions in the name of equality, reducing poverty, equal opportunity, non-discrimination, social justice, and the global 99%. Please, let anyone take a job anywhere. It is the right way to treat your fellow human beings. It will transform the world for the better, and it will cost us less than nothing. Thank you, Brian Kaplan. And that concludes closing statements. And now it is time to see which side you feel argued best. We're about 90 seconds away from having the results. The first thing I want to do uh, is say that uh, it's our goal at Intelligence Squared to raise the level of public discourse. And we had that tonight. These, debating, this, these two teams were just terrific. And, and Vivek, when you say that we shouldn't even de- be debating this, that chills me to the bone. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm sure it was no, just rhetorical. I, I don't want to take your job away, my friend. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, we have the results in. Remember, you have voted twice, before the debate and once again after the debate. The team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage point terms will be declared our winner. Here are the results. In the opening vote, 46% of you agreed with the motion, let anyone take a job anywhere. were against the motion. 33% were divided. The second vote, let anyone take a job anywhere. The team arguing for the motion, they went from 46% to 42%. That's a loss of four percentage points. The team team arguing against the other side, I think we can see where this is going. Their second vote was 49%. That's an increase of 28 percentage points. They are our winners, the team arguing against the motion. Let anyone take a job anywhere are our winners. Our congratulations to them. And thank you for me, John Donvan and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. 
Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.